three different locations. Glad you came out to Gulfport. We've got one in Long Beach and one in Wiggins as well. And uh, on behalf of our lead pastor, Van Decody, just want to say thank you for coming out. We're going to have a good time today. Uh, again, it is cross equals love. That's, that's our message today. And in case you're really bad with reading into things, uh, the cross represents the cross that Jesus died on. And then the heart represents love. All right, you're like, I don't understand these shapes. Well, it's, it's cross equals love, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and it's Easter, so we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Now, in case you didn't know, the res resurrection of Jesus is, is a big deal, okay? It is a big deal. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, the cross just wouldn't matter, Okay, and actually 1 Corinthians talks about that. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, everything that we do, everything that we say as a church, all this preaching and all this would be futile. It would be useless, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 would be a great book, uh, a chapter to read today in case you haven't read it before. Puts things in, uh, gives some clarity to it, okay? The resurrection is a big deal. And the love of God is a big deal. But do you realize that without the cross, we couldn't experience the love of Jesus? Jesus. We couldn't experience the love of God because there's this gap, all right? And, and, and the cross did a few things. When Jesus died on the cross, it, uh, it, it paid the price for our sin, okay? And some of you, you've heard this a lot. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he died a painful death in order to pay the price for our sin, for our iniquity. Uh, look, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter about all of that. You're born into this situation, right? Y'all know that? Like, you're born into this world with a sinful nature. Look, you don't have to teach a kid to lie. Am I right? All right, we got some kids up in here tonight. It's like, you ain't got to teach them to lie. They know. Okay, they know how to be devious. They know how to be disruptive because they're born with it. We're all born with it, right? There's a little disruption happening right now. Look, you ain't got to teach it. It's just natural, okay? You know, just lying in this sinful nature. So the, Jesus overcame that. He paid the price for that, okay? Gives us the ability to be reconciled with God. That's a big deal. Without Jesus, there is no reconciliation to God. There's this gap. Again, nothing that we can do about it, all right? So the, so the death of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus paid the price for our sin, uh, uh, paid, paid the debt that we could not pay, and, uh, and gives us a chance to be reconciled with the Father. Now, in the Bible, the, the, God is referred to as Father a whole lot. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today is the Father's love for us. And, uh, and just to kind of get it out there, I realize that not everybody has had a, a really good example of a Father's love. Okay, many of you in this room probably, you maybe didn't know your dad. Maybe he was around but still absent. You know what I'm talking about? He was there but not really there. And so you have a skewed mindset when it comes to a father. And so whenever you read the Bible and you see God's a, a, a father, that has a negative connotation to it, right? But today, we want to put that aside and realize that, that God is a perfect father, okay? Like, He's everything that maybe your dad wasn't. He is that. He, he is at every ball game. You know what I'm talking about? He, he is there for you. He's consistent. He's not inconsistent. It's important for us to realize that today uh, before we get going. And uh, just to let you know, in case you maybe, again, this is your first time here, we are in the year of the Bible. 
And what we're doing is we're tracking along with the one-year Bible. And the one-year Bible is uh, simply every single day there's a reading from, from the Bible, an Old New Testament reading and also a Psalm and a Proverb. And uh, by the end of the year, guess what? You read through the Bible. Hence the name, one-year Bible. So... <laughs> So we're in the year of the Bible, and every Sunday what we're doing is we're looking back to the prior week, and we're grabbing a story or a theme, and then we're covering it here on Sunday morning. And so that's what we're doing today. We're going to continue this series, and it's really awesome how this lines up. Today is, uh, in this past week, was Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. So if you got a Bible, if you brought a Bible, if you don't, just open up your phone or whatever you need to do, okay? And uh, that's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 15 today. Um, Again, if you've got the Northwood app, you can open up and go to Sunday Info Guide and go to Message Notes, and you can follow along there. And then we'll also have some notes here on the screen. But uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 and 2, and, and my goal is just to really set up what's going on. Again, a lot of times we read the Bible, and we don't think about the context of what's going on. We don't picture, like this is about Jesus teaching some people. We don't picture Jesus, a normal person, standing before other people and trying to communicate a thought. We have this detached mindset, right? So, so we're going to look at the story today, but I want you to imagine a lot more than just reading something on the wall, okay? Y'all with me? Here we go. Verse 1 says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to, to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I mean, it's, it's bad enough he's associating. He's going to eat meals with them. In case you didn't know, Jesus had a lot of haters. Okay, and what do haters do? They hate, man. They hate. They just, they love to criticize. Something good happens to you, and what do they do? They try to find the negative side of it. What is it about that? What's the deal with the hating, right? But anyway, Jesus had them. We have them. Nothing you can do in this world is ever going to, like, deter that. We're all going to have haters. Jesus has haters. But these guys are very intellectual. These guys know what's up. They're religious leaders. They've been teaching about the law for a long time. And the law was how they operated, which was, I've got to attain all of these things in order to get to God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like, I've got to do a lot of good things in order to get God's good graces. And if not, he is just waiting. Like, his, his sledgehammer is just waiting to, dr- almost like God's excited about it. Like, he can't wait to crush you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's just me, but I've heard that before. It's like this mean God, and Jesus is teaching these guys who have this mentality. They have this thought process, and it's like God is a judgmental God, and we have to do everything just right. Well, Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's totally different. He's totally different than that. And actually, the very people that should be outcasts are being drawn near to him. They like hanging out with him. And again, if he's bringing bigger crowds than the religious people, something's wrong. He must be preaching some sort of watered-down message, right? He must, he's not preaching the right thing. He's not, no, actually, he was preaching the right thing, and it was something that had hope attached to it, which is something that people hadn't experienced before, and they were loving it, and they wanted to be around 
around him. And so the very place he was supposed to be, he was getting hated on, right? So you kind of picture the picture here. You see it. So what he decides to do is he decides to take, and, and, and take, a, take a moment and explain to these guys how God actually views people. He stops everything and, and he decides, I'm going to explain the love of God and how much value God has for people. And he does it three stories. The first story is about the lost sheep. And uh, in case you, you haven't read it, what, it's a very simple story. There's a shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off. And he says, wouldn't that shepherd leave those 99 and go get the one, right? Because that one matters. The other 99 are where they're supposed to be. They're in a good place. They're safe. So I'm going to leave the 99 and go find the one. And then it says, like, after he finds the one, won't there be much rejoicing? Isn't he going to be excited? He's going to tell all his friends. And uh, he's like, that's how the kingdom of God is when one person repents. Then he moves on and he says, there's a woman who lost one coin out of 10 coins, right? The same exact thing. One coin. She stops everything she's doing and she's looking all over the house for that one coin. Why? Because that's the only one that's lost. The other nine are okay, right? And she stops everything. She goes and she finds the coins. She calls up her friends, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, I found it. And then they're all rejoicing. They're all excited. And, uh, and again, Jesus says, this is how, how the kingdom of God is. Like God cares about the one. They were so wrapped up in the rules and the regulations that they forgot about the fact that God loves people. Like his heart is for people. And so then he develops and goes into the, he develops in this, this teaching and he goes to the third story. And that's really where we're gonna be today. It's the, the story or the parable of the lost son. All right. And uh, I think, I'll just be honest with you. This is for me, one of my, my favoriteest is that the right way to saying that? Favoritist? I'm going to go with it. I don't care. It's my favoritist story in the whole Bible. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to go with it, guys. You know what I'm saying? Most favorite story. I know English sometimes. Sometimes. So it's a parable of the lost son, the story of the lost son. And so we're going to pick up in verse 11. And verse 11 simply says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. Can I ask you a question? How many of you in here are parents? Come on, raise your hands. A lot of you. Probably most of you. You're, you're parents. And, and uh, so do you remember the first time that you held your kid, like the first time that you saw your baby. Uh, me and my wife, we have a five-year-old little girl named Ariana, and uh, I remember the first time that I held her, and it was a very intense moment. I was the, the guy that was passing out during the delivery process. Um, that was me. Um, we talked about it a few weeks ago. One of our messages was, I never will. And I was like, why would people pass out while they're, what's the deal? Why are these guys like, they got bags and stuff? And they're like, I was like, I'll never do that. And, and I did. I did. I did. It was time. Everything's happening. And I'm like pulling up a stool trying to sit down. And like, I need, uh, I needed gum like to, I don't know. I just needed something. <laughs> and, but once it was all done, I was holding my little girl and everything about my life changed. Everything about my mindset, like priorities shifted. Okay. And, and many of you have had that experience where you hold your little girl, your little boy, whatever, and, and everything changes. This guy right here, he is a father. He loves these boys. Again, sometimes we, we read that thing, uh, a man had two sons. 
and we just skip over that, but we don't connect with it. We got to realize that this guy right here loves his boys. And he's a good father. I'll kind of steal from later in the story and pull it in right now. He was a good dad. He provided for his kids. He was a faithful dad. He protected them. He obviously had some money. He had servants and, and, and uh, land and cattle and all kind of good stuff. And, and so I picture these guys being raised up in a good environment by a good dad. And I... I'm kind of visual, and so I, I picture them like having a big front porch, all right, and they would chill out in the front porch at night, and uh, whenever whenever the, the sun would start going down, out in the distance, like off the front porch, off the front of the land, you could see a long, a long way out a city, and that city, come on, it gets dark, what happens? It starts glowing, and then they start hearing the sound of the city. You know what I'm talking about? Like the bustle. Now, they didn't have like 18-wheelers rolling by or anything like that. But, but you could hear, you know, you could hear like the parties. You could hear just the sound. And uh, like any other kid, this boy's curious, right? Every kid is curious. By the way, every kid is, is innocent, right? We're all born innocent. And, and so he's born innocent. He's born, born curious. And along the way, obviously, that innocence that he has begins to get polluted. All right? I think all of us right now could think back to that moment in our life whenever our innocence was polluted, where we were clueless about the bad side of earth, right, and the world and, and all the weird stuff that's happening. We were clueless about it, and then all of a sudden it just it hits us. For some of you, it might have been something that was more stolen than anything, but it was a polluted. I remember for me, it was, I was 10 years old. I could take you to the spot at my grandma's outside of her house where it happened. I could tell you, I tell you, I could take you there right now. And uh, it was one of those times where hanging out with grandma and grandpa and spending a week with them and this kid from across the street, you know what I'm saying? Just, he was 13, 14 years old. And he had, he had been more places than I had been. And, uh, and he began to say things that I'd never heard before. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I literally remember like <sighs> realizing that there was a whole lot of things I didn't know about. And I was exposed to some things. And what happened? That innocence, that night, naivety that you grow up with, that you love, that don't you wish you could go back to? <laughs> Come on. Wish you could go back to that place. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, but we can't. We're stuck. Here we are. <laughs> but that innocence was stolen from him. And this curiosity begins to build. Now, we're talking about the Father's love today. And we're going to see how the Father loves us in different ways. And the first way that the Father loves us is in our innocence, okay? The Father loves his son in his innocence. Now, if you're like me, it's easy to imagine loving someone in their innocent state. I, I can love an infant easily, okay? I loved Ariana so much whenever she literally couldn't do anything except like... <laughs> And we'd feed her, and then she'd just stare. You know, it was just it was great times. It was just good, really good times. And uh, just stay like that. Nope, nope. And, but as she grew, man, some things started getting tested. Now, she's only five, and I hear, I hear 12 and 13, something else happens, and I just, I rebuke that. I, no. No, 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 no. So... 
But it's easy for us to imagine the father in this story loving his son in his innocence. And it's easy for us to imagine God loving us in our innocence. But what are this next thing, the next way that we see God loves us and the father loves us is that the father loves in our rebellion. And this is where things start getting a little bit more difficult because it's easy for me to love somebody who's loving me, right? That's how we operate. But as soon as that turns, now we've got an issue. But we're gonna see how the father loves in our rebellion. So the story goes on, verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now, real quick, that's just, that's not a small statement. Really what he's saying is, dad, I wish you were dead. I want mine. Like I, I want what I'm owed whenever you're supposed to die. I would like that now. That was just not, that was not the custom back then. That was a big deal. And really that communicated a lot of rejection to the father. Now, again, the father has done nothing wrong correct? The father's been a good dad. He's been faithful. He's protected his sons. And all of a sudden the son comes up and says, uh, I want out. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Isn't it just incredible that so many times whenever we deal with rebellion or we go through a rebellious stage, that really what happens is we just end up in an isolated place and we leave a place of safety to go to a place of danger. Most of the time, that's what happens. Rebellion is a trap. And, and really it cloaks itself a lot of times in independence and being free. And I'm a, I'm a free thinker, right? So I don't need structure around me. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do something that nobody else has done, right? And, and there might've been a lot of dreams attached to this, but really all it was was a rebellious attitude that he had because it was not blessed. It was not approved. It was not the right route, but he chose it anyway. And the father loves him. And the father says, okay, I'm gonna let you go. And he goes to a distant land And of course, he wastes everything. He wastes all of his money in wild living. At this point of the story, this is where the father's love and our understanding of love gets a little bit complicated because again, it's easy to imagine loving someone when they're doing good, but not when they're doing bad. And it's hard for us to love people consistently whenever they are doing bad or they're doing wrong against us. See, that's how we operate. That's the way that we operate. But the thing about the Father's love is that it's consistent in our inconsistency. Okay, so so whether or not in this story especially, the son is doing everything he's supposed to be doing, that doesn't negate the fact that he's still a son. This is where religion comes into play, is if I am doing everything right, then God is loving me. But whenever I step off the path and maybe I begin to make some mistakes or I'm not doing everything exactly right, again, God's waiting to crush me. I don't know about you guys, but uh, when my little girl messes up, I still love her. And what do I want to do? I want to instruct her and guide her and help her. I don't get angry with her and, and, you know... I mean, some may, and maybe that was your experience, but a good dad doesn't do that. A good dad instructs and protects. But for us, when we're in a place of rebellion, we expect some sort of negativity. How about something bad happens in your life and what happened? Well, I ain't been doing right, so maybe it's the Lord carrying out judgment on me right now, right? It's like I stepped off the path and God's waiting to drop a hammer, but it says he's a good dad. 
We had to replace our religious mindset of who God is with the proper mindset of who he says he is. And he says he's a good father. That's what I believe. See, God's nature is, is holy, but we live in a great time where his judgment is overcome by mercy and grace. This is the time that we live in. I'm glad that I was born at the time that I was born, all right? This is a good time. We have access to God through Jesus. So right now, I want you to go ahead and just kind of deconstruct this mindset of what you do determines how, how much of God you get. Because what happens is if we start with that, we're on the wrong path. Now, what we do matters, Okay, I'm not preaching just one side. Everybody's, we got we're either on one side or the other, right? It's either God's a tyrant and hates people and judgment and legalism, or it's way over here in grace and it doesn't matter how I live. No, that's, that's not what the word of God talks about. There's a balance to it. But I'm telling you, if we start off trying to attain holiness and attain God, the rest of our lives is, is gonna be uh, depressing, we're gonna be defeated. There will be no victory because every time that you fall, every time that you fail, you go right back to this place where I'm in rebellion, so therefore the Father doesn't love me. And it's not Bible. It's not Jesus, come on. So the question or the, 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 the part of the story that I was thinking about when I was looking at this was, we know what the son is doing. We know that the son is in the distant land, living it up, wasting his life away, right? But, but, but what was the father doing? Well, the father was at home still in a safe place. And obviously we know from later in the story that the father was still waiting and still expecting and looking for the son to return. There was something in the dad that was still reaching out, okay? And so I think it's important for us to realize that even whenever we wander away, that God is still looking for us. God is still wanting us to draw closer to him again. And, and, and I'll just kind of jump ahead a little bit. I, I don't know where all of you are coming from today, but I can only imagine that for a lot of you, church is one of those things that you come to here and there because it's church. It's what we do. We go to church. It's good to do that. Uh, but, but outside of the Sunday morning experience, it's, it's not really in any other part of our life. And Whenever we live like that, what we do is we tend to want to get further and further away from the very thing that we should be drawing closer to. And we can get caught up in this mindset that we've got to get really good before we come to God. And I know that some people even fear coming to church because they, the old, like, man, if I walk in there, lightning's going to strike me. I just know it. Some of you might have came in today and are just like, <laughs> the lights start flickering and you're like, oh God, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> anyway, that's not the way it is, in case you didn't realize. God is not going to strike you dead in this place today. Matter of fact, he's going to do the opposite. He's going to do the opposite, and that's what we're going to learn today. But, but the, the Lord loves us in our innocence. The Lord loves us in our rebellion. And as we get to this next thing, we're going to see where the sun goes, the, the path that the sun takes. And it really starts in verse 17. And what's going on is the economy has collapsed, okay? The fun is over. The bank account is empty, all right? He's living on the credit card, and the interest is racking up. And people are calling him like, man, you got to pay up. He's got nothing left. He ends up working on a farm, not his daddy's farm obviously, but he's working on somebody else's farm. And he ends up in a place where he's feeding pigs. 
which is the bottom of the barrel. By the way, in this time, again, Jesus is teaching the Pharisees, pigs are unclean animals. They're disgusting. And for somebody to be involved with a pig, an unclean animal, that's like the, the low of the low, right? Jesus is communicating something that is completely redefining to these people what this, I mean, we, we read it and we're like, oh yeah, we know that story. This was groundbreaking stuff that he's communicating. And so, so what happens is the son is, uh, hits rock bottom. He's feeding the pigs, right? Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, how many of y'all have ever had a moment of clarity in your life? Amen. Where you're, you're standing there and you're hanging out with whoever and you're blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it's like, you zoom out a little bit and, and you see who you're with or you see the situation you're in. And then all of a sudden, all the steps up until that point mean something and you understand how you got there. And for many of you, that was the moment of salvation, right? That was the moment where you realize like, I am not where I'm supposed to be at all. How did I get here, right? But there was this moment of clarity and this is what's happening. He comes to his senses and he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Can you hear his tone? Can you hear where he's coming from? He's like, what am I doing? How did I end up here? Can you imagine the regret that he's feeling at this moment? Like it didn't work out. The dreams came crashing down. What am I doing here dying of hunger? And now this is where we're going to see something happen in the story. Because really what I see is when he comes to his senses and he thinks these thoughts, I see that being conviction. Now conviction is such a negative word to a lot of people when really it's a positive word. It's the Lord saying, you're not in a good place. You're not in a safe place. I want to align you back where you need to be. Conviction is full of hope. But, but the, the weird second cousin of conviction is something called condemnation. And that's where a lot of us live in every single day of our lives. Con a condemning spirit. Whenever the Bible says in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation. Like because of Jesus, when you're in Christ and you're in a relationship with him, you got no room for condemnation. Conviction is full of hope. Condemnation is hopeless. Yes. And what happens here is he feels conviction. And you know what? I think he felt hope. Whenever he said, why don't I go, why don't I go back to my dad's place? I think there was like some joy that was getting welling up inside of him because he's like, I could go back to that place, man. It was so good. But then what happens? Well, I've been doing all of this, and so I don't know if, I don't know if that's going to work out. So, so look what he does. He says, I will go home to my father and say, and this is where he starts rehearsing what he's going to say, right? Father, or how about, uh, father, fa father, you know what I'm talking about? He's like looking in the mirror trying to figure out the tone that he should use in order to evoke the proper emotion from his father. Father, I have sinned, uh, I've sinned a against both heaven and you, you and heaven, I'm not really sure, uh, heaven and you. And I'm no longer, this is a big word. I'm no longer worthy. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you today have thought that in your life, I'm not worthy? Like you've said that, you've thought that, you've prayed that, you've, you've rehearsed that over and over, how bad you are, how unworthy, how unholy, how you don't deserve anything good in life, right? You've rehearsed that over and over. That's what he's doing. Speaking down upon us. I'm not worthy of being called your son. Again, he thinks that his conduct determines whether he's a son or not. It's not. It's blood. 
Ariana will always be my five-year-old little girl. In my mind, she will always be five. <laughs> I don't care, all right? She's always gonna be my little girl. She's my daughter. Just because she goes down a dark path doesn't mean that I will quit loving her. But he's thinking, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not a son. And then he, he lowers the standard. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's rehearsing it because of this condemnation that's on him. And he, he's going to just hopefully crawl back up to dad and, and, and maybe he'll take him back. That's his mindset. Conviction, condemnation. Condemnation, again, has the same effect of rebellion, which is it isolates you and it makes you run from the very thing you should run to. Verse 20, here's where it gets good. So he returned home to his father. Now, y'all picturing this with me, right? Let's take it slow. Let's, let's, let's picture what's actually happening here. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. What that means is daddy was looking for him the whole time. I picture him working in the field and doing his thing, but always just kind of glancing every now and then. He saw his son go down that road, but there was something inside of him that was wanting and desiring that son to come back down that road. And he sees him when he's a long way off, filled with love and compassion. Okay, now those are two emotions that we weren't expecting. If it was us, I wouldn't be expecting love and compassion. Depending how you're raised, maybe it looked like this. Well, I told you if you went over there, I, I told you not to do that. Come on, come on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's how we think of things. I was raised in a little bit of a Cajun family, and it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you burn yourself or you drop something on your toe. I told you not to be carrying that around the house. I mean, I do that to Ariana sometimes. Well, you shouldn't have been running. And she's like, ah, you shouldn't have ran. <laughs> I mean, come on. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. <laughs> Yeah, we could do that for quite a while. And instead of like finding a band-aid, we're like, now go to your room. Just, I don't want to hear you cry. Man, we're cutthroat people. Do we have any good parents in here? I mean, like you guys are connecting with that really easily. Wow. Maybe this is for us, like all of us parents, filled with love and compassion. We need to talk about this a little bit longer. <laughs> the father sees the son coming. He's filled with love and compassion. And it says he ran to his son. He ran to his son. Again, this is something that doesn't make sense to the people in this time. A father, a patriarch, I mean, he's very dignified. And especially when somebody has done wrong, that person is supposed to come, be submitted and lowly. But what we see is the opposite happen, is that the father begins to run towards his son. Come on. God loves us in our innocence. God loves us in our rebellion. And God loves us in our return, y'all. He loves us in our return. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son is dirty. The son is smelly. He's not kissable at that moment. You know what I'm talking about. 
father loves him. But guess what the son does? Here it is. Verse 21, his son said to him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, right? The rehearsal thing. I mean, he's got the tone right. He's, he's ready. He's like, I've, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And, and I'm no longer of worthy. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Now notice right here, there's a period. And we'll go to the next verse. Dad cuts him off. He cuts him off. Can you imagine this moment? I mean, he's, he's taking his breath for his next sentence about being a servant. And, and dad's like, his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine. He didn't even have time to hear about the servant thing. He said, this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So guess what? What's that last part say? So the party began. All right? Come on, man. The party began. The father did not care where the son had been. The father didn't care to hear the stories. He didn't want to know about where the estate was. None of that mattered. Why? Because his son was coming back home. Everything else was trumped at that moment. It was done. Could care less about it. It's about my son coming home. And look, so many of you are in this place today. You might be a part of Northwood. It might be your first time here. You might have been in church a hundred times, but this is a trap right here where we fall into rebellious lifestyle. We fall into a rebellious pattern and then we begin to distance our ourselves away from God and we begin to rehearse something in our head. We begin to rehearse how God's gonna respond to us whenever we begin to cry out to him. And we say, there's no way that he's going to accept me again whenever it's completely the opposite. God is waiting for us to return to him. He hasn't changed. His love hasn't changed. Look, some of you, you might have been raised in church and it's easy for you to connect with the innocent part. Innocent, I ain't done nothing wrong, right? But then you fall away throughout life and now you're in this place of rebellion and now it's a big deal for you to be here right now, let alone respond to the love of God again because you have in your mindset this thing that he is waiting to to judge you and I want to bring a message of hope to you today and and just like you might be feeling conviction right what's conviction built on hope Right now, you might be feeling that hope which says, man, I want to try this again. Maybe some of you have never tried it in the first place. You've never given your life to God. You've never submitted your heart to him in the first place, but yet you're feeling this hope. You're feeling this thing that says, that's the kind of father that I'd like to have. I don't know what kind of heavenly father that's been communicated to you over these past few years in your life, but if it's been one that's full of hatred and judgmentalism and, and legalism and what you do, you've got to do these steps in order to get to this hierarchical place. Can you please put that aside and realize that God's love is here? God's love is for you, not against you. And all that we simply have to do is believe. Jesus died on a cross to display the Father's love to all of us. See, this is what the Bible says. It says that, it says that the Father's love was displayed in the fact that while we were still sinners, 
Many of us are still sinners, right? Outside of Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't like we got cleaned up and then Christ died for us. It was the opposite. But we get the cart before the horse, right? We get our actions before grace and we get confused and then we grow up. And man, we live in the Bible Belt. Everybody's been to church. Everybody knows something about God, something about Jesus. And many times it's not the, it's not the biblical perspective. So today in this moment... I want to offer you the love of the Father. I want to offer you grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'm not going to do anything awkward or embarrass anyone in this place, all right? But I am, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Because there's something about raising our hand and, and admitting something that we can look back and say, that was a moment where something changed in my life. And I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand about this right here. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know God, I'm talking about the God that we're talking about today. And you see yourself as this lost son and maybe you're in the pig pen, right? Maybe you're in that moment where you are so separate from God that you don't see a pathway back. I wanna let you know that there is a pathway and you can start that journey back right now. See, the sun gets on the road and what that represents is repentance. Repentance, which literally means heading the opposite direction. And for some of you today, that's your step, is to repent before God, to be reconciled with him. So right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're in this place today and you find yourself in this category, you find yourself in this situation, whether you've said a prayer of some sort before, whether you've never spoken a prayer in your life, I'm not worried about that. But here in this moment, you know that you're far from God. You know that you've had a form of godliness, but there's no power in it. And right now you wanna choose Jesus. If that's you, I want you on the count of three to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, if you're in this room, all over the room, see your hands. You need Jesus right now. Come on, I see you all over the place. Come on, you're far from God. You're in need of him today. Some of you have tried this before, and believe me, I was raised in church. I understand whenever you've tried something a few times and, and it hasn't worked out, and you feel like, what's the point of trying? The Bible talks about how a righteous person gets back up, and today, it's time to get back up. God never quit on you. Who else? Come on, raise your hand. You need Jesus. This is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I don't want you to repeat after me. I want you to include yourself in this prayer. I want you to reach out to God for yourself. I want you to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin. 
and God is gonna invade your life. He's gonna change you. You're gonna feel his grace and his forgiveness. Come on, let's pray. Lord, I come before you right now. Father, you know my situation. You know my heart. You know where I've been. And God, right now, I am humbling myself before you. God, I know that you've seen me. You've seen my actions. You've seen the good and the bad. But God, I know that right now you're cutting through all of that. And God, you are pulling at my heart. God, because you want my heart. And right now, I submit my heart to you, Jesus. I give myself to you. I give you my effort. I give you my rags, the things that I've tried to do, my, my, my goodness, I give to you, Lord. And I ask that right now, you would give me your righteousness. God, let me be clothed in your righteousness right now. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I repent right now and I turn from the unrighteous way I've been living. God, I thank you for sending Jesus to this earth to die a painful death for me, to, to be buried and to be raised again to life so that I could be included in that victory. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for those who gave their hearts to God today? Yeah. It's literally one of the most important decisions that you can make in your life. The decision to follow God. Now, now look, right here, there's always a, a crossroads. And there's this moment where maybe I've raised my hand, maybe you didn't, right? But, but you said that prayer, you included yourself in that prayer. There's a crossroads right here, which kind of says, am I going to actually walk this out? Am I going to take what just happened in this room and walk out of those doors and it affect my life. Because here's the deal, guys. We don't have time for religious things and like, oh, wishy-washy stuff. Do y'all realize that we're in a battle? Like we are in a battle, whether you know it or not. We're in a war and the enemy has come, the Bible says, to kill, steal, and destroy. And for some of you, he wants to steal the thing that just happened. He wants to steal the faith that was just birthed. He wants to begin to plant seeds of condemnation upon the, 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 the prayer and the choice that you made. And we wanna come alongside you and help you. We don't believe that church is just a Sunday morning thing. We don't believe that church is, should just be something that we go to here and there. We believe that church is really a family like it's an actual community where we support one another come on and if you're a part of a church you know what I'm talking about where people know your name where people know your life they know your situation and if something goes down you have somebody to call that's close to you who's a brother or sister in the family of God and that's what this thing is all right this is what this is. This is what the church is. This is what Jesus started. So we wanna invite you to be a part of that. And the way that you can do that again is if you said that prayer and, and God's doing something on the inside of you, there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. You can pick up that connect card, fill it out, or you can also text the word SAVE to 51660. Either way, we wanna get in contact with you. If you like, we wanna reach out to you. I would love to reach out to you and either call you or text you you, whatever it is, whatever you fill out on that connect card and reach out to you because we really want to help you in every way possible for you to make it with God. All right. So come on, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that, that every word that was spoken today, that the enemy doesn't steal it, doesn't destroy it, but it would take root in our lives. Amen. God, we love you. 
we thank you, first of all, for sending Jesus to this earth to die for us, to set us free, to give us a hope, to give us purpose, to give us eternal life. We claim that right now. God, I pray that today, as the, the things that we talked about are just like seeds that are planted in our heart. God, I pray that those seeds would not be tainted, they would not be stolen, they would not be crushed, but God, they would take root in our lives and in our heart. And God, that we would begin to live this out. Confidence in you, not confidence in ourselves and in our ability, but confidence in your love and your grace and your empowerment by the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus. I pray that you protect every person here today. God, every visitor, every, every person that's here from out of town, God, I pray that you protect them, that you go with them. Lord, help us all to go out from this place and be lights in dark places, representing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Thank you for coming again. Enjoy your day. I was saved and baptized when I was seven, but for 40 years, I hadn't lived like that. I mean, though, I barely stepped foot in a church unless it was a wedding or a funeral. And of course, you know, being in the military, you know, you're away from home the first time, you go out with the buddies and you start drinking and, you know, you just, for the next 20 years, you drink. It's just one of those, uh, if you don't have something filling the void, you fill the void. When my wife and I moved here, um, but we only did church on Sunday. And I said, you know, I, I need something better. I need something different. And we started coming to Northwood. And honestly, before Northwood, um, our life was chaos. But uh, so I got involved in some of the teams, media team and usher team, and uh, everything was going good. And then Easter Sunday, 2015, I was taking photos. That day is the day I, I honestly gave everything I have to Jesus. From then on, it's all it took. Um, September uh, 2015, I got baptized. My wife got baptized and one of my daughters got baptized. And when I came out of the water, it was literally like washing off 40 years of dirt. My life went from chaos to calm. I know now that I'm saved, so I mean, that's a, Christ filled the void and, and then some. Now I want to bring everybody I know. I mean, friends, co-workers, I want them all to come because I didn't do anything special. I just, I just came through the doors. Um, everything else Jesus did. And yeah, my life has changed.